survive and thrive. This is a podcast that brings you stories and perspectives on how leaders and organizations can not only transform to survive, but thrive in change. I'm your host and co-founder of Kincinity, Jennifer Ayers. In this season, our third season, we want to help our listeners learn how to positively influence the change that they want to see in their organization, how to minimize disruption, and even normalize the concept that change is usual. We plan to do this by exploring the eight tenets or themes that we discussed in our second season and meet with various guests that have experienced leading teams through change or leading other individuals through change and their organizations. Today, I'm very excited to have Glade Holman with me. Glade is presently the Managing Director at Learning Bridge and Park Lee Group. I will let him introduce himself in a moment, but I've had the opportunity to meet Glade on a few different occasions and even listen to his company's podcast, Simply Feedback. And I think he's got some insightful ideas on how leaders can navigate change. Glade tells us about his background. Thank you. I'm excited to have a chance to share with you anything that I have in my experience set that might be useful to you or to others. You know, I really do believe that we learn from our own experiences, and sometimes we're lucky to learn from others' experiences as well, and I hope that we can do that on this podcast. You mentioned that I had two companies um, that we're working through, and uh, the Park Lee Group started with about 20, 24 years ago or so around strategic leadership. How do you take the realm of strategy, which has largely been seen as like an analytical exercise of coming up with the best things that will make you win in the market and couple that with leadership, which is how do I get people aligned to that strategy? And so what we did at Park Lee is look at two Venn diagrams and kind of said, well, let's look at the overlap between those two. There are those places that say, hey, we're all about creating strategy. And there are all those places that say, hey, we're all about good leadership. We wanted to look at the overlap and live in that overlap with what we did at Park Lee. And we called that strategic leadership using you know strategy as a leadership tool, because I think sometimes strategy is a really underutilized leadership tool. And then also, you know, how do I then get people to execute the strategy that both sides of it? So that's where Park Lee came from and passionate about that work. And in the context of that, we had a lot of folks ask us to help their leaders continue to grow and develop, build out leadership models and give them coaching on it. And can you automate it in terms of technology? And that was about 20 years ago. And that's when we said, well, I guess there's enough of a demand there that we should look about doing that. And that's where the, the birth of Learning Bridge which really focuses on how do we give people the feedback they need to grow and improve, both as an individual, as a team, or as an organization. So the two are really complementary sister organizations and the work they work closely together. And I basically step into a client either from one or the other and bring the benefits of both. But it's been useful to have the distinction between consulting services around strategic leadership and then this broad area around all things about feedback and how we can help individuals, teams, and organizations grow. I love so much of what Glade says, but for now, I just want to focus on how he helps leaders implement and maintain their strategies. Strategy is kind of exciting to talk about, right? It's a lot of fun. People want to get engaged into it, and they forget about that part called implementation because they're so fascinated by the ideas of doing something new and interesting, which I'll call the analytical dimension of strategy. The ability and the capacity to do that analytical strategic thinking, I think, is far more present in leaders and organizations than is the human dimension of strategy. Um, and so for me, I'll say the analytical dimension might be, you know, how do I answer? And I always talk about just three broad questions. Where are we now? Where do we want to go? And how will we get there? And strategy is no more complicated than that. 
It's just how you choose to answer those three questions um, and then get to, you know, how do you continue to get, build momentum for it? Those three questions, you can do simple tools to answer them. But if you neglect the human dimension, you're going to end up with trouble when it comes to execution. His emphasis on the human element is part of a larger trend that we're seeing in change management as a whole. In episode two, our guest Tammy Pinkston used the phrase, if you build it, they will come to exemplify that only what seems to work in field of dreams may not really work in reality. Glade brings his own perspective on the human dimension, as he calls it. He breaks it down into three parts and has his own metaphor to throw into the mix. On the human dimension side, I have three other elements, and that's, well, how do I get understanding, ownership, and alignment? Because I want the answer to the three questions. Where are we now? Where do we want to go and how we get there? And then I also want the leader to say, oh, but wait, 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 wait. How do I build understanding? ownership and alignment in the team. Like I said, the skill to answer the three questions is usually more present than the skill to answer those latter ones, which are understanding ownership and alignment. Um, so that means when I'm working with a leader, let's not get too excited about the strategy before we start to think about the implementation and how do we build understanding ownership and alignment through the process. The process is important, as important, if not more so than the content. You said you've worked with leaders that had great content, but then it fizzles. You know, it's like the last thing I want is a really beautiful Ferrari in the garage without a transmission. Um, you know, and, and you, you gotta get, I'd rather have a Jetta with the transmission, you know, that works. And so that's where we go on. And that means understanding ownership and alignment. That's where we need to put our focus on building that for the strategy. Because it doesn't matter the content. If we don't have that, we won't even find out if it's good content because it's not, it doesn't make it out of the garage into the real world. So that's a long answer to a very short question. But that's where, where my passion lies and where I move leaders to. It's like, let's think about understanding ownership and alignment. At the same time, we're thinking about this thing you call strategy, this you know tomb of papers that you've kind of developed on the side. Well, that's a great metaphor. I mean, I'm picturing the Ferrari. I'd like the Ferrari with the transmission, please. As Glade said, you can have the most brilliant strategy in the world, but it won't do anything if you don't apply it correctly and if no one follows it. He tells me about a time when the strategy was there, but the implementation was not. On a smaller scale, you know, I mentioned that I take the idea that strategy at its essence is kind of simple. Implementation, human dimension is kind of difficult. And so I need to, to start to, to at least level set that with the executive initiative. I remember working with the team in Australia with the senior team and the CEO. And we said, look, we can go through a process right now that helps you build out a beautiful strategy, one you'll be very proud of. Or you can all identify two people one to two layers below you, or three people, and we'll work with those folks to develop a strategy for your organization. And I can guarantee you that if we do it, those two activities are going to produce a very similar content. In fact, you know, the, the overlap in content is probably much greater than what the senior team thinks it's going to be. The difference will be that when it comes to execution, the only thing the senior team needs to do if they use that, let me go down in the organization to build it, they just get to say, go. If they build it themselves, the next thing they have to do is dog and pony show, right? They have to go around and convince people because you want, without ownership, you really have a hard time getting implementation. And I only know two ways to get ownership. One is you try and get people to buy something by selling it to them. The other one is you help them build it. And so I default to let's have them help in building it because if they build it, they own it. And then you talked about strategy needing to be something that is an everyday kind of an activity. 
or change is every day. It's, it happens all the time. If you own it, then you feel free to change it. In other words, if we build it together, everyone is already there, involved and ready to play. Okay, that's my last Field of Dreams reference, I promise. Moving on, Glade relays another situation with a different client. They had spent an awful lot of money with McKinsey, who has great product, right? Great thinking, great models, great, all this kind of stuff. Beautiful strategy. Six months down the line, the strategy is stumbling. It's not really going anywhere. The problem was, is that it was McKinsey's strategy. It wasn't the organization's. And so you know, no strategy survives exposure to the market, right? I mean, it has to change. It has to adapt. It has to, it's a, it's a, it's a stream that's moving. You can't, you can't just expect it to sit static, but you know, Hey, McKinsey, they're the best out there. Of course, I'm not going to change what they said to do. And so when they came up against challenges, they wouldn't change it because they didn't own it. So then you had to go like, so if you own it and then you hit a stumbling block, you're much more likely to be willing to adapt it to a change because it's yours. No one gets fired for doing what McKinsey says, but maybe you might get fired if you don't do what they say. And so it really almost collapsed their capacity to adapt and absorb change as the strategy evolved over time. Without ownership and alignment, even the most brilliant strategies can crumble. Glade expands on this idea of involving your team in order to help them through change. He explains. It comes back to that. So if you say ownership, you know, first thing I, I look at, let's get more people involved in building the strategy than just a club at the top and lean into the collective intelligence that you have on your team to get that ownership because then execution will come much more easily. Reminds me of uh, that book, uh, Made to Stick, where they talk about commander's intent. And, you know, as soon as your plan hits the market, it's it's going to blow up. So if people are um, owners of the plan and they know they know basically the intent, they can more rapidly pivot and get to the outcome, the desired outcome. So that's a great, great point that you raised. If you haven't had a chance to read the book, Made to Stick, by Chip and Dan Heath. I highly recommend it. The authors delve into this idea of the commander's intent, which is a concept the Army developed after tons of research about plans and outcomes. Ultimately, the intent is what is most important. Trying to lay detailed plans and exactly scripting how you'll get there just won't work because the minute you hit that battlefield, everything changes. However, if the intent is clear, the troops can take appropriate actions in the moment to achieve the commander's intent or the goal. Glade discusses how this may appear in the workplace and what being transparent with your team can actually accomplish. There's an expectation that people sometimes have of their leader. They want the leader to have like the big brain and all the answers. And it's almost a contract between the followers and the leader. It's like, you know, we want you to be the big brain and to have, have all the answers. We know today our world is so dynamic that no one brain is big enough for that. The thing I worry about when a leader has that idea that I've got the answers, I know that eventually those answers are not going to fit. And then they're vulnerable because usually the solution, when, when people want the big brain and you step in and you perform the part of the brain, when you fail, the, I, they say, well, I guess wrong big brain. Person's gone. And they measure failure by change. You came in and said this. But now you're changing it to there. Therefore, you didn't know everything and getting out. And so part of what I'll do is set the expectation up front of what do you want to get from your strategy making exercise? 
if you want a blueprint, which is where a lot of people go to, right? It tells me everything that needs to happen. Or do you want a broad context that's, that, that sits out there in terms of you know, common vocabulary, common intent, common spas, the, the how is going to be answered by the people in the execution rather than the people at the top, where the blueprint, the how is answered at the bottom. I find that most people want the blueprint, but the blueprint sets you up for failure every time because they'll say the measure of your success is did you follow the blueprint? And you can't follow the blueprint because, you know, I remember doing it with one team. They, they, they wanted to bring together two areas of the organization in a big combination, right? It was a big merger. And they said, we're going to combine these two organizations together. They didn't know up front if it was going to be the right thing to do or not, or if they're going to need to have to separate them again. But they, so we said, yes, let's, you know, let's not make people think that you've got all the answers that you're learning. And so we drafted and helped them draft a memo. You know, what we're doing today is set on a base of assumptions, assumptions about ourselves, about our customers, our clients. And so here's what we're taking. You know, the measure of our success will be the degree to which we learn which of those assumptions are true and then change how quickly we can change. And I remember the leader came back and said, oh, it's too wishy-washy. I got to go with a firm answer as to this is where we're headed. And so he kind of X'd out that memo and sent out the one that said, here's what we're doing. This is why it's a brilliant solution. Sure enough, six months down the line, we kind of learned a few things. It was necessary to split them back out. And when we split them back out, you could kind of feel the organization go, I knew it. You know, I knew they couldn't get it right. And so the measure of the success was, oh, they changed. Therefore, because they changed, they were wrong. Where the other one is the measure of our success is, did we change? And so I try and get them to move from the measure of success of your initiative is not did it change or not change. That's a blueprint mentality. It's did we change as we learned some of our assumptions were not as true or things in the marketplace changed. That's how we measure success is how quickly we change to respond to changes in the marketplace and changing information. And so that's a hard one to get, to get people to shift away from because we, we like the blueprint. Blueprints don't work when the market is a swirl. Right. And right now, <laughs> where we are, given what we've learned from the pandemic, uh, everybody's blueprint got blown up. So that's a great reminder. And I love the idea of measuring your success based on not that you didn't change, but that you did change. Another incredible way to view your strategy is to ask where it sits within the organization itself and what it does to the people around it. You can't ask yourself inside your organization where you sit, does strategy create a club or does strategy create a community? Obviously, you know where I'm going to lean into, that strategy can create a community. And that means that basically it sets the context and gives meaning for everyone's work. And therefore, no matter where I sit in the organization, if I share in the strategy, I'm part of the same context. I can see my part in the story and I can belong to that. And that creates a sense of community where I've seen some folks kind of think like, you know, we're the smart ones. And so if you're smart enough, you can join our strategy conversation, which is a club. Communities are going to do much better <laughs> at helping you survive um, and actually execute your strategy over the long run. So I'm always looking at using strategy or even a change initiative, right? You could you could say strategy is a way to get an organization to go to a new place that's changed, but you can speak about it in general, any change. I want to involve a community in that. Um, I don't want to create a club. So that means I'm going to be very much more participatory. When we're working with an organization to build that strategy, just like I mentioned that team in Australia, I said, look, I'm sure I could work with the three of you, the brain trust right here. And you may already know all the answers to the right questions. And that's fine. Let's hold off on that. Let's get a much larger group involved. And we might do it with a group of 20 or 30. 
and we say, you just ignore the organizational hierarchy. What's it going to take? Say I'm on a product line. I own a PL for some subdivision in an organization. Who do I need to be on board with what we're going to do in my organization? Forget the org structure, whatever it is. Get those people in the room before we announce our change and let them shape it. Let them start to be the ones that answer the question, where are we now? Where do we want to go? How are we going to get there? Answer that question with them so that they have the ownership of it coming out. And we found that process of you know bringing 20 to 30 people together to build out a strategy, if you do it in a structured way with that commitment. In zooming in on the idea of allowing your team to come up with a strategy, Glade points out how different leaders may respond to that. He also speaks on what he believes distinguishes a good leader from a great one. They'll probably end up with about 80% of what the brain trust would have done. You know, so there's a 20% gap difference between like, oh, that's interesting. And probably 10% of that is going to be better. And the senior executive is going to recognize it and say, that's even better than what I thought. And maybe 10% are still going to say, eh, I don't know. I think mine's still better. But I'll counsel them, give up that 10%. Because what I want, what's more important is the ownership than that last 10% of having an ex- exactly think what you are. Be willing to trade some stuff for ownership. You want as many fingerprints and thumbprints on that strategy story as you can, because that's going to help you in the implementation side. And that 10% is probably worth letting letting go, or the 5% is worth letting go, because you've got 90% with ownership rather than 100% without ownership. So back to the Ferrari kind of example. Yet not everyone is hip to valuing transparency and community building between leader and team. Some people still gravitate towards the traditional role of a leader, to be stoic or solid, and to have all the answers. Sometimes what it looks like is if they're not receptive to it, sometimes, you know, I'll be working with a large client, they're global, they've got, you know, 50,000 employees or whatever, and I'm picked up with one area and the leader might not, might not buy into it, but then they see that this area has also got momentum and boy, are they trucking and I'm struggling over here. What can I do? So it's kind of, they kind of have to have a, an awareness of it. I, I think there's also some leadership maturity that happens over time that the more junior you are in your position, in your role, the more you want to be the big brain and you're not willing to give up authorship because that's how you got credibility in the past. So you're concerned about giving up authorship of the great ideas to others. And as leaders mature, they feel less compelled to capture you know, the credit. In fact, they learn the exact opposite, that the more I can give authorship away, the more successful I'm going to be. You know, I'll even counsel the leader, like when you're there and you got someone on the team and they say, hey, here's a great idea that I think we should go down this path. And maybe it's an idea that you as a, as a leader have been trying to pound into everybody's head for the last two months. Now, his response could be, I'm so glad you see the world the way I do. Finally, someone sees it the way I do. Thank you. Don't say that. Don't say that's an awesome idea. I love that. Let's go with that idea and leave the ownership with that person. Because the more the ownership is outside of you, the better the execution is going to be. So that leadership maturity, the more senior leaders, I think, really get it. um, Because they've had enough examples of trying to be the big brain and not having it work. They've tried one where let me share out that authorship. And then that really gets things going because it creates community. It creates all those positive things. And it creates it increases the capacity of the team to absorb change when the ownership is outside of yourself. Own the process, I'll say to the leader. You architect the process. 
help them architect the product. You architect the process and be comfortable giving away that authorship. Wow. That's probably not easy for a lot of leaders to do, but what, how powerful to bring that uh, to, to empower your people in that way. So really interesting. In the past year, I think we've all seen the importance of breaking down barriers, connecting with others and respecting your people. As we move forward, I don't think many of us can slide back to the closed door leadership style and inclusion and dialogue among executives and their team isn't necessarily new. In fact, it's pretty Socratic. Switching gears, I want to focus on the next steps. Say you've included your team in your strategy development and you have your approach. How do you talk about it? How do you communicate this strategy? This question connects to Glade's idea of localized messaging. I think you'll see a common theme here again is that I'm going to try and engage people um, in the activity a lot rather than just communicating it. Two years ago, I worked at an organization that was reframing their, their strategic vision, really trying to make a break from the past and set themselves in the future. Kind of a company been around for 70 plus years, maybe kind of an old state, kind of what was working for 70 years, you know, wasn't going to work anymore, but they had a great base to build from. And so it's like, okay, how do I send, and the workforce is very stable. How do we send the message to this workplace? We're going someplace new and we're going to act differently. We're going to work differently. We're going to promote differently. We're going to do all these things differently. How do I get them on board with this? And I may have used a, you know, a broader team at the top, but I need this to go across all 20,000 folks now. Um, and I need them to see themselves in it. I remember sitting with the, with the CEO saying like, this is great. You can, we talk about a communication plan. Let's X out the word communication and replace it with an engagement plan. How are you going to get people to engage your strategy rather than how are you going to communicate the strategy? Your role is not to communicate the strategy, it's to help others engage it. Because when they see it's to communicate, then they go to their dog and pony, pony show, they do their town halls, they do a cascading town halls, and they may go around and they say, look, I did my part, I delivered the message, but for some reason, I'm still not getting change. You know, I delivered the message, I'm not getting the change. I delivered the message, I'm not getting the change. And I, it's, they must be stupid. You know, it's kind of the, this kind of the thing. They just don't get it. I mean, I can't say it anymore. And my thing is, no, your, your job wasn't to help just communicate. It was to get them to engage it. And for most of us, I want the senior leader to do that communication at the top, right? And that's kind of like you know, what I said to him. I said, that's a little bit like the evening news. You know, we tune into it. We like to see it. We like to hear, but it doesn't change what I'm going to do tomorrow. It's, it's the local news that's going to tell you what the weather's like, you know, today and what's going on in your community and are the potholes going to get, like, that's the local piece. And you want to get it to be close to that person. So you don't really get change going on until someone has a conversation about it within their work team. I can hear about it from my CEO and I go into wait and see mode. I believe it. He says we're going there and we're going to be like that. I'm like, good. I like that too. Now I'll sit back and I'll wait and see. And I don't do anything until maybe I've had a conversation with my manager or with my colleagues and that starts to change. So what we'll do is design a process that gets the manager to give us the you know air cover with the overarching story, but then a whole process that designs conversations that happen in work teams around the strategy to help them draw ownership from it. How do you help them engage it? Um, even when I had the, the leader share the story, the strategy story, right? Here's the answer to the three questions, right? The strategy story in an engaging way. Rather than ending with a Q&A, we stopped in the, in the middle before, and we had Q&A, 
But the difference was, these are questions I have for you now, not what questions do you have for me? So we started again. And why is that? Because I want to get the audience to do it. So what were the questions that he asked? What's new? What's different? What's exciting? What will be hard? And as he asked those questions and then listened patiently as the answers came back, he started to get the opportunity to reinforce certain messages and go through it. But the Q&A started with him asking them questions better than the other way around. That basically helped them ask the questions they needed to. So again, I'm looking to get interaction um, and conversation from every individual that talk, that hits. And I want it to be at the local area. Glade sums it up nicely with this. The one thing I would say is that it's communication to aligned action. And you got to do a step to get to it. There are steps that you can do to get to that with your local team. I think that's a great idea. And I may be borrowing that one in terms of the QA initiation with the questions going out to the audience, because one of the challenges that we are always working through with our clients is to get under the kind of get get into it and get under the covers on what's really going to be the impact associated with this. And no leader knows all of the impacts. And until you start really digging in and having those interactive conversations, you don't know and you can't can't know that. So it's a great way to sort of begin to get the culture oriented around this notion of the leaders are going to really try to step in and understand what that means from your point of view. This exercise of the reverse Q&A speaks nicely to our tenants, especially bracing for our impact. When you ask people what they think, you may be surprised what you find out. Before we go, I asked Glade what three things leaders and organizations can do to not only survive, but thrive and change. For me, the first thing, like I said, I think there'll be maybe some underlying some stuff that we've said here is to understand that change is not something that happens to you. It's something that you you make. And I want everyone in the organization to make change, not just have it happen to them. So first of all, change is part of our environment and it's actually natural. Um, I know we want to sometimes resist uh, change, but everyone wants to grow, everyone wants to improve. And so so does the company. I want folks to buy into the idea that we're going to continue to improve. And that means, right, that we're going to continue to learn. And that means we're going to continue to change. For some people, change has a bad, a bad connotation. So I want to get to, there's an ambition that we're going to all work to get to in the first step. So we, we own a common ambition. Uh, if we can own that common ambition, the change battle goes away because now we're already aligned in the same outcome. Get collective identity on the ambition, um, the, where you want to go and then trust the individuals below to have the insight to be able to change themselves when they work towards that. Accept change as the norm, but maybe don't necessarily use the word change. I want people to, for a leader, do not fall into the trap of the big brain. If your followers want you to be the big brain, don't do it. You have to throw it back to them. Because I guarantee you, if, if you accept that challenge, that when the strategy fails or the change fails, the problem was the big brain um, and they'll switch it out. I can't tell you how many times I've seen that where, you know, the big brain didn't work. So the answer is exit, put a new big brain in. Um, and there's even maybe someone on the team says, I'll do it. I'll step up. I'll be the big brain. And they keep that same dynamic. He'll fail and go back again. She'll fail and go back again. So leave the idea that you're the big brain behind um, and trust the thousand little brains. 
to find the right answer. Um, and then you make that happen. Glade also gives us a bit of extra advice that I think is pretty important. Maybe another way of thinking of, of what I'm passionate about when it comes to the role of the leader, you know, there's all that stuff on servant leadership that's out there. But I would kind of summarize that for me. Your role is to create the context and then serve the follower. If I do a really good job of creating the context, which can be the high, three high-level questions, where are we now, where am I go, and then turn over a little bit more of the how to them, if I've created the context, I can trust them to make good decisions. Um, so I'm going to invest in creating that common context. And usually, you know, a quick one I'll say for, for most leaders that I work with, when I'll say those three questions of strategy, they'll say, oh, I get where we are now. Everyone knows that. We want to talk about the other two, where we want to go. And they'll skip the first question. That's where the fact base is. That's where the insights are. And redesign our process to actually early on, it spends about two thirds of the time on the first question and only one third on the next two. Leaders generally say like, oh my goodness, no, why are we going to do that? That's the boring stuff. Time after time, we always go back and we ask and we do surveys to find out. And they say, what was the most valuable part? And they'll say to a T almost every single time, it's the answer to the first question. Because there was not a common answer, even though the leader thought there was, there wasn't. And if you don't have agreement on that first answer and people start to plot their path to where they want to go, they're plotting it from a different starting point. So their actions don't align. If you invest the time to get the right answer to where are we now, then when you've got the other two questions, people are plotting from the same place and their actions will align. Don't skip, you know, spend the time and that like, we'll, we'll say create the fact base, bring the information in. That's bring, don't say, oh, they don't need to know that. I mean, they do need to know that. And you want to make sure the context is shared. I mean, sometimes I've seen a, a leader, it looks like, you know, She's at the front of the room and she's saying, we all know the first question is, you know, where are we now? And she'll say, but, you know, Bill, you know where we are. We've been at this for 10 years together, you and I. We, are, we know exactly the challenges we face. And, and Jane, so do you. You know, we've been at this for a while. So we know that answer to that question. Let's go to the next one. And of course, you know, everyone's going to say, yep, yeah, we know the answer to that. No one's going to say, I don't know. Uh, and so assume no one knows the answer to that question with your team and spend time because that's where you build that community and context. If you build that context, then you can trust the decisions they make because you shared it from the same fact base. So establish a common data set, a common fact base before you start to do the other stuff with the team. Awesome. Really great insights. And um, boy, I think our listeners are going to take a lot from this conversation. I know that I definitely do myself. Um so tell me, Glade, how might someone get a hold of you if they have other questions or they want to learn more about some of your ideas, what you do? Sure. You know, I am, as you can tell, I'm passionate about the stuff that we do. I, I think it has a great chance to make a difference for folks and I'm always learning from others. So I do not turn away opportunities for conversations. You can find me on LinkedIn, Glade Holman. There's not too many of us out there with that name. Um, you can also find me at learningbridge.com and at parklee.com. And I'd be happy to engage in a conversation with anyone on any of these topics. I like to learn from other people's experiences as much as my own. That's awesome. And we'll include all those links in the show notes below. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that you did take the time today. And uh, I look forward to many of our future conversations. I already am thinking of, you know, <laughs> about 12 more questions I want to ask you, but we won't have time on this podcast. But anyway, so it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Thanks again for joining us today. 
Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening and joining our episode of Survive and Thrive podcast. Remember, at Consinity, we empower the conscious leader to realize positive and sustainable change. Until next time, don't just survive, thrive. Take care.